There he is, Mike Harge. Hear him live every day, every weekday, that is, 11 to 12, right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. I am one half of Midday with Trey and BK. Trey Elling, BK, will be down in just a second doing some glad-handing. Bucky has uh, been out today for load management. He was a little bit under the weather, so he gets the load management day, maybe load management weekend, too. Awfully convenient timing, Buck, considering how big of a uh, two-day affair this is with Texas and Alabama squaring off tomorrow night. And the excitement is in the air. I've been talking to friends all week long and texting with folks back and forth over the last few days as well. And Texas fans are jacked. And there's going to be a great Longhorn contingent in Alabama. It has probably started over the last couple of days. It's only going to intensify today. And then tomorrow, Tuscaloosa is going to be teaming with folks in burnt orange that's usually the case for Longhorn fans. We like going on fun road trips, but in a year where there is that belief that this team might be able to do something more, might be able to do something special, yeah, you know that the Texas alumni that uh, can fork over a little bit of dough for a plane ticket and a hotel room and maybe an expensive ticket at Alabama is certainly going to do that. So hopefully they have a blast and hopefully they get to watch a win for the good guys. I don't think of the last time the Longhorns went on the road in a blue blood matchup like this and pulled off a win. And perhaps some folks can help on a comments line that I'm not even going to be looking at today because I have no computer in front of me because we are figuring it out as we go today. But uh, yeah, Texas is trying to do something that uh, is not in recent memory. I mean, I think back to that game at USC several years ago. That feels like maybe the last time they had this sort of matchup. That was unfortunately a loss. It was close, and Texas was able to redeem themselves that very next year in an absolute beatdown, but that was an L. Think back to the Notre Dame game in South Bend, Malik Jefferson's freshman year at Texas, where he is starting that very first game. Unfortunately, that game was ugly, man. That was a brutal game to have to watch as a Longhorn. I was watching that with my granddad. Poor granddad in his late 80s at the time. I thought he was going to keel over and die. He was so frustrated with how Texas looked that night. Thankfully, K-Dad is still with us. But Texas does have that chance now. It's not just to make a statement to the fan base or for the 2023 season. It's a chance to make an early statement for what to expect when the Longhorns Interconference play in the Southeastern Conference starting next season. Rad Kellner talked about it a little bit earlier as he and I did the morning show today. He's tired of silver lining losses. And in a sense, I am too. Now, will I take a close loss like last year over a beatdown at the hands of the Crimson Tide? Absolutely. I'm not that down on silver lining losses. But I also don't want to have to, quote-unquote, celebrate another one of those. As I think it was CB texted this morning on the YouTube comments line, silver lining losses, moral victories, that's an Aggie thing. We try not to do too much of that around here. And he's absolutely right. You want to be able to win these sorts of games. And this is that unique situation that the Longhorns find themselves in where your roster is up enough in Alabama, remember, it's all relative. Their roster, relatively speaking to what Alabama is most years, is down enough that the opportunity is right there. Alabama is a favorite right now, according to Vegas. But how often do you see Alabama as only a seven-point favorite when they're at home? It doesn't happen all that often. I honestly don't know the last time they weren't favored in Tuscaloosa. might have been. That LSU team with Joe Burrow a few years ago, one of, if not the greatest college offense of all time. Obviously good defensively too, but it was the offense that stirred the drink of that national championship run. But anytime a team has come into Tuscaloosa in the Nick Saban era, they are usually facing a deficit or a a point spread differential according to Vegas. And that's where Texas is right now. Usually that point spread 
it's probably somewhere in the double digits. So the fact that it's only a touchdown right now, I think speaks to Vegas's uncertainty with things. I'm honestly a little bit surprised we haven't seen more movement in Texas' favor considering the seven-point spread, at least the last time I checked this morning. But there are a lot of people who feel strongly about Bama taking care of business in this game. They just look at Nick Saban's history. Also understand Steve Sarkeesian's history, too, and see that this is a guy who, throughout his coaching career, has had a really hard time beating ranked opponents or conference opponents on the road with any sort of consistency. He literally loses two out of every three games in each scenario. And even though this technically isn't a conference game just yet, I think you have to treat it like that. So can Steve Sarkeesian start to get that monkey off of his back? I hope so. I think it's possible. History would suggest otherwise. That's against any opponent. We're talking about at Alabama here. The I don't remember the last ranking from the AP poll this week. The number four team in the country, perhaps? Yeah, that is a different beast altogether. Brad will be down here in just a second. In the meantime, though, I wanted to let you people know about some of our great sponsors. That does include our guy, Tom McKay, and audiovisual consultations. AVConsultations.com is where you need to go in order to look and see all the different things that audiovisual consultations might be able to do in your home or place of business. They have been hooking homes and businesses up here in Austin and Central Texas for 35 years now. They started out doing a great job, and they've only continued to get better over time. I know because they've come over to my house multiple times now to set up that dream home theater system in our downstairs area. We have a video game nook upstairs in a loft area that is also the result of the great work from audiovisual consultations. BK has the multi-TV set up in his new apartment here in Austin. He's had audiovisual consultations literally come out to his place, I want to say four or five times at this point, to provide that quad TV setup in his living room. Of course, he does some freaky-deaky things in his bedroom. In terms of the audio and video, and I'm just hypothesizing here, um, I'm a believer that that probably is happening right now. I don't know for sure, but if it was done, I don't think Tom's going to ask any questions. He's just going to grin and be like, man, you are one weird dude. No, he actually normally says that about me. Find out for yourself how good audiovisual consultations is by going to that website, avconsultations.com. Once you decide on your service, give him a call, 512-255-8678 for audiovisual consultations. I'm assuming most of you did watch the NFL opener last night. Kansas City Chiefs kicking off what they hope is a Super Bowl champion repeat season with a loss to the Detroit Lions, 21-20. to And the opportunity was there for the Chiefs to win this game, but unfortunately, far too often... With the receiving core outside of the tight ends, but specifically Kadarius Toney, those receivers were not up to the task. They were not helping Mahomes out as he was continuing to do Pat Mahomes things, putting balls on the money. But in the end, Kansas City has to settle on too many field goals and also hands a pick six to the Detroit Lions, which technically, according to the stats, is Pat Mahomes' fault. That wasn't Mahomes' fault. That was all on Kadarius Toney. Ball hits him in both hands, pops straight up in the air. The Lions intercept it, take it for a touchdown. And that turns out to be part of the difference in the Lions winning this game 21-20. to And myself and plenty of others have been talking about this. Look, not to toot my own horn here as I toot my own horn, But I was telling people to start to pay attention in 2021. I watched a Lions team that I want to say they won four or five games that year. So the record doesn't look very good. They were fighting their asses off with a pretty bad roster. Over the course of that entire season. And just having their hearts ripped out again and again and again. One of the things I liked about watching that happen, other than being a bit of a masochist, is the fact that the Lions never really gave up. 
They get their hearts ripped out. Justin Tucker literally kicks an NFL record-length field goal to win a game with zeros on the clock. Justin Tucker, lifetime Longhorn, greatest kicker in NFL history, which I guess makes him the greatest kicker in football history, literally sets a record for length of kick and beating the Lions. That enough would derail a team season. The Lions are back out there the very next week, fighting their asses off again to probably lose on a last-second or last-second field goal or last-minute touchdown. But you saw it in them then, that these guys were willing to shed blood, sweat, and tears for Dan Campbell. So last year, they don't make the playoffs, which if you are a good franchise an established franchise, a franchise that is used to winning and success, that's maybe a bit of a disappointment. But once again, last year, you saw a team that fought their asses off. How do I know? Well, I know because the last game of the season, I don't remember if they were technically eliminated from playoff contention. I feel like they were. Brock is telling me that they were. Thank you, by the way, to Brock for doing a great job behind the scenes today. So they were eliminated from playoff contention, but they had an opportunity to spoil the Green Bay Packers season. And guess what happened? They did that. Game was at Lambeau, too, which obviously heightens the stakes that much more and tends to lend itself to more Packers victories. The Lions showed the guts that they have, even in a seemingly meaningless game for them, and they made it happen which led to one of the all-time great post-game speeches by Jamal Williams. Starts out as this heartfelt, sentimental tribute to his granddad, and then he basically tells the rest of the world, not the rest of the world, the rest of the Lions haters out there, don't doubt us. We're coming back for more. Now, unfortunately, Jamal Williams is not on the roster this year. That is disappointing. Lions went in a different direction at running back. DeAndre Swift traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. Jamal Williams now going to be taking carries with the New Orleans Saints. David Montgomery looked pretty good last night, coming over from the Chicago Bears. Jameer Gibbs, limited touches. That's going to continue to go up throughout the course of the season as they figure that thunder and lightning thing out. But Jameer Gibbs is the real deal. I realize that you fantasy owners out there right now, which I am one of them in one league. In my other league, I have Amon Ross St. Brown. Thank goodness for that. You may be underwhelmed by what Jameer Gibbs did just in terms of the overall output. He's going to continue to find ways to get more and more touches, both as a, a running back and a receiver, either out of the backfield or lining up as wide receiver at times. That dude runs with a mean streak, and it was on display in a limited capacity last night. The Lions offense is fun. I think Jared Goff is in a system that he feels very comfortable with. Their offensive line is good. And they've got some dudes on defense too. So watch out for the Lions. Yes, it is an upset last night. Although less so because of who was not playing for the Chiefs. A guy on each side of the ball. Chris Jones obviously on that defensive line. Although KC's defensive line was fairly disruptive last night. I was impressed with that. And then also being without Travis Kelsey too. Look, Blake Bell. The Bell Dozer, as Sooners fans like to call him. Does he still have that nickname at the NFL level? I think less so now. He did an admirable job filling in at tight end. Saw a couple moments out of Noah Gray, too. But overall, the Chiefs were down. But guess what? You have to play against the hand that that the opponent has dealt, right? And the Chiefs were not as up to the task as the Lions were. So credit to the Lions, and hopefully this is the start of them actually cracking back into the postseason for the first time in a long time. It is a big weekend for college football, yes, but it's a big weekend for the NFL, just in terms of it being week one, but there's also some really fun matchups on tap, too. You know the Dallas Cowboys are starting the season on Sunday night football like they do most years against the New York football Giants. That is a matchup that is usually intriguing, and it goes back and forth as to where that game is being played that first Sunday night of the year. This year, it is in New York, and 
it has been fascinating all week long to get the opinions of Cowboys fans as to as to a question that uh, Jerry Jones essentially answered earlier this week. That question is, what is a disappointing season for the Dallas Cowboys? His response is open-ended, but I think it lends itself to a, a good question. Come on over, Brock. You and I can talk until BK gets here. His, his definition of, under, of a, uh, a disappointing season is underachieving, but that obviously leaves room to interpretation. Brock, I don't even know. Are you a Cowboys fan? I am a Cowboys fan. Oh, Born you poor, and raised in Dallas. You poor bastard. Got to deal with De- Jerry Jones for the rest of his life, which is probably going to keep you guys from winning it all until he's gone. But now nice the Cowboys son. have not only a hologram of Jerry that will continue to allow Jerry to live on, but it is an AI-powered hologram. Did you see this video? I haven't seen the video. I saw the headline. Yeah, the video is floating around now. Jerry's fielding questions from a crowd. and He's giving pretty sober answers for Jerry. And I mean that figuratively and literally. And then you realize that it is AI powered hologram Jerry. That's doing that, which makes you wonder, is Jerry just going to write the Cowboys uh, who gets the Cowboys when he dies into his will. It's going to be hologram Jerry powered by AI. And then Uh, Jerry, Steven, but well, is it Steven behind the scenes? Is it like a uh, wizard of Oz sort of deal? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he's just a, a mini Jerry Jones. You're right about that. But then yeah. Jerry mentions that he didn't have to ask anybody before making that curious Trey Lance trade. He's like, I had all the information I needed to, so I made it happen in a matter of five minutes. And it's like, Jerry, this franchise has given itself more of a chance over the last seven to 10 years now because Steven and some other people in the front office have convinced you to go rogue less. But Jerry is back to that rogue mindset now. Which... No, he's running the Cowboys like it's a, a Madden franchise. That's basically what he's doing. Just kind of, kind of similar to how the Rams ran their organization a few years ago. They're just trading for everybody. Yeah. That's pretty much how he's running it. So I ask so you then, the open-ended answer that Jerry gives of underachieving season. What would you consider underachieving this year? This is a Cowboys team two years ago. They get knocked down in the first round of the playoffs. Last year, they make it to round two. So what is underachieving this year? Is it that next step forward? When you make it to the divisional round the last two years, I think anything less than an NFC championship appearance would be a disappointing season. Because you can't regress, and you can't you know, lose in the divisional round three years in a row. So I feel like it has to be at least an NFC championship appearance. See, underachieving to me speaks to what would get your coach fired because people are asking questions of Mike McCarthy right now. Like, can he be the guy? Those questions were being asked when Jerry hired Mike McCarthy. It kind of felt like he was duped by that Thanksgiving Day feature on Fox going and visiting Mike McCarthy in his Wisconsin home in that bunker that he had where Mike McCarthy is trying to convince everybody that he's a big sabermetrics guy now or football statistician. And it's like, uh, I don't know. That, that might may not be your wheelhouse, Mike McCarthy. And look, the Cowboys have won 12 games each of these last two years. So maybe there's something to that. But I also see Mike McCarthy who is taking on more responsibility, uh, more responsibility this year as the offensive play caller. And it makes me wonder, like, is does getting back to the playoffs, does that save him his job one more year? Or does he have to at least get to where they were last season? Because... NFC Championship is lofty, but you also have to think about it like this, too. And Bucky Godbold has done a great job of making this point all week about this. That the NFC is not all that good this year. Like, think of the the truly good teams in the NFC. Lions could be a, a good team in the NFC. I don't know if they're cream of the crop just yet, though. So, like, other than the Philadelphia Eagles. Niners. The Niners, but I wonder if Brock Purdy comes back down to earth. This year, if he suffers another injury, you still consider the Niners elite with Sam Darnold as their quarterback. Anything's possible. Yeah. But think about the rest of that division. Seattle, they could be good. They don't strike me as elite, though. No, not yet. Arizona's a colossal joke. The Rams, I don't think the Rams are going to be that good. I'm on the record now saying this will be Sean McVay's last year 
in LA. He needs to go enjoy his gorgeous wife and their soon to be new baby. But you just look up and down that conference and it's, it's a whole lot of crap. It's a whole lot of crap to decent teams. There aren't a whole lot of elite teams. And maybe that's where the Cowboys can capitalize and at least make it to that conference championship game. I think there's a lot of factors with McCarthy. Um, I think the NFL or the NFC, sorry, being down has a lot to do with it. But also, you know, you talk about their success the last two years compared to before. You know, what's different in the last two years than before? It's Dan Quinn, Mm. right? And when you have a coordinator on your staff that has taken a team to a Super Bowl as a head coach, you know, come to your franchise, turned around your defense, which, you know, I've been a Cowboys fan my whole life. I can't remember the Cowboys having a good defense in my lifetime until he showed up, right? He's one of the hottest, hottest head coaching candidates. You know, when you have that guy sitting behind a coach who has, frankly, underachieved, you know, in a lesser conference, you know, I, I think anything less than an NFC championship appearance gets him fired. Yeah, because the bottom line is, and McCarthy's obviously an offensive guy, which is why he's taking over play calling duties. The offense hasn't done its job. There are people asking what I feel like are valid questions about Dak. I get it. You look at the stats and the stats aren't that much different from guys who are considered elite quarterbacks, but there's doing that in garbage situations or situations where there's not as much pressure and not being as good in those pressure situations. And then there's doing it more consistently all the time. And I don't think we've seen it as consistently with Dak when they face other good teams. Yeah, I agree. I I think he's, Dak is a glorified Kirk Cousins, Mm. but he's treated completely differently than Kirk, you know, and I don't know where that comes from, but differently how in the, you know, Kirk, it's like, you know, everybody says there's a ceiling and, and, you know, every year there's talks like, are they going to draft his replacement? Like Mm. he's on a year to year thing. Whereas Dak, it's like, you know, he's just there. Yeah. Right. There's no talk about replacing Dak, even though if you look at their stats, they're virtually identical to each other. Mm. Um, you know, except for last year where Kurt kind of played better than he had any other year in his career. But well, Kirk is also a guy that had a terrible record against above 500 competition. Right. All the way up until the last couple of years, but really last season is where he seemed to turn that around. But then again, didn't they get dump trucked pretty quickly in the playoffs too? I forget how far yeah. they made it last year. They lost to the Giants in the wild card matchup, I believe. So yeah, got to the most important game of the year and Maybe Vikings, yeah, found themselves on on the outs. Right. You know, and I, I I think about the Cowboys. If they don't, you know, we can dispute what a disappointing season is, but if they have another disappointing season. Would you rather lose Dan Quinn or Mike McCarthy? You know, and I was saying this last year. I thought mm. I thought they should have fired McCarthy last year and elevated Dan Quinn. Yeah. Because I would rather lose McCarthy than Dan Quinn. Yeah, look, and Dan Quinn, you guys have to be saying a lot of thanks for this one. He could have taken a job two off-seasons ago if he wanted to. And obviously he could have taken some this off-season. He's being extremely selective right now, which you don't right. normally get from a guy who has that head coaching experience, who is obviously extremely competent at what he does. Normally, they're they're champing at the bit for that next opportunity, but he's being very selective. I think Jerry Jones has given him the, uh, the Jason Garrett treatment where it's like, you know, you, you stay put. We'll, we'll take care of you when the time comes. You know, you'll be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm assuming he's the highest paid DC in the league at this point, too. I don't, he's got to be, yeah. Yeah. But it's I, I do think that anything less than a than an NFC championship appearance would be disappointing. I think that Mike McCarthy sticks around if you guys win a game in the first round. It also depends on what's happening in the season, too. Like if you suffer a rash of injuries, let's say yeah. Micah Parsons goes down, then all of a sudden the season has a very different outlook. And if yeah. you just compete for a division title, even if you fall short, make it to the playoffs win a game again if like a Micah Parsons is out then um then yeah that's uh it's gonna be a big deal you're gonna be doing this entire show by the way until we get to the okay. very end here so 
Sweet. Kudos on that one. Yeah, BK BK is uh, taking care of some stuff upstairs. If you didn't know, we are in Covert B Cave right now. Uh, actually, in the building of the GMC store, there is a Longhorn luncheon going on upstairs. We are extremely appreciative of Covert B Cave and all the support they're providing. Texas Sports Unfiltered. They've got Cadillac dealership out here, Buick, GMC, Jeep, Ram, Dodge, Chrysler. I mean, there are so many types of cars that you can come out to and buy here at Covert B Cave, and it is a first-class operation. Top to bottom, that lunch with the Longhorn this week is with, yes, Michael Griffin. said it many times. Safety is my favorite position to watch. On defense, for sure. I don't know about on either side of the ball, but I love watching safeties perform, and Michael Griffin is an all-timer. One of the great Longhorns obviously helped his team win a national championship and then had a long, illustrious NFL career, too. You are such a young guy. I, yeah, I don't even want to ask this, time. but do you you don't remember the national championship at all, I do was, you? I was three or four when they won the national championship. Yeah, because you're 21 right now, correct? Yes, sir. It is crazy that it has been that long. Oh, I don't remember the I don't really remember the 2009 run. I mean, honest. I would have been seven or eight. That was a that was a fun season for sure. I mean, it, there were a lot of nail biters, and then as you're probably still aware, if you don't remember the game, they play Alabama in that national championship game. I was not in the stands for the. 05 championship, but I was in the stands for this one. Texas looked like they were going to control that game until McCoy runs that speed option to the left. I think it was Marcel Darius who just hits him right on that shoulder and reaggravates. I believe it was an AC joint injury that he had suffered a few times throughout his career. Very unfortunate. Texas still had a chance to win that game too, but a combination of Garrett Gilbert's inexperience. And by the way, Texas receivers letting him down at times also. People don't remember this, but the uh, the Shipley that was playing for Texas at that time had an opportunity to make a catch that would have been a big moment for that Longhorns offense. Doesn't happen though. Texas loses the game and it's been a lot of heartache since then. So for most of your conscious life as a Longhorn fan then, Brock, you've had to deal the shit that is the last 14 years now unfortunately mm. i will say the highlight though um i did i was sitting front row of the notre dame texas game at texas in the end zone that um uh, who was swoops it? It swoops scored in the 18 wheeler uh, package yeah that was that was awesome that was like my peak it's kind of sad that was like my peak longhorn fandom moment. look let me tell you this because i've been to a lot of games at dkr Ever since I was, I mean, before I can even remember, so probably like three, four, or five, I was coming to games with my grandparents and my parents at times. I've seen a lot of cool moments in that stadium, was in the stadium, in that same end zone, although Ricky was running the other direction when Ricky broke the record. And some other moments like that, that is, I get it that the season meant nothing after that. That was a top five coolest moment in that stadium for me. So what was your peak? What was your peak Longhorn fandom moment at dkr it would have been the ricky run okay because i was such a huge fan of his and you knew it was going to happen that game so it would have been cool if is the way it happened i guess yeah i mean it would have been cool if it was a two-yard run that got him over the record but the fact that he did it in a very ricky williams sort of way what was it like a set was a 75 yard touchdown run i want to say 65 but i i'm not Kevin Dunn, when it comes to remembering things like that, it was a long run. It was over right. 50 yards. I mean, he had to cross over the uh, the midfield line. If I remember correctly, was that the first play of the game? Mm, the first play from scrimmage? I don't think so, but I also don't remember for sure. Like, yeah. this is maybe an embarrassing admission. I have never gone back and watched the national championship win. I just don't really? go back and watch games a whole lot, and that probably limits my sports knowledge, but I'm also yeah. okay. Moving on to the next thing. I'll watch repeat of good television shows, uh, but going back and watching repeats of some of my favorite moments in sports history. It's just not my thing. You must not watch the uh, Longhorn network very much then. Cause that's about half of their, 
half of what they play is just that game. Just yeah, it's, it's that. It's the uh, the national championship game, the Ricky record breaker from time to time, and then fashion shows too. It's just expert programming, fashion I guess. Shows. They show fashion shows on there from time to time. Maybe they've tamped that down just a little bit over the last few years. But yeah, they for a while, they were recording these fashion shows. Kevin actually had to host one or two. Really? which is why I know about it because I've I've probably had Longhorn Network in my life and I've definitely pirated it yeah. to watch games at times. And I'm not going out of my way to see what's on LHN on a given moment, like even for the coaches' shows. Yeah. I don't need to hear the coaches give coach speak answers on things. I'm good. Right. But yeah, you've that, that Notre Dame game is one that you, uh, you shouldn't put down just because the season sucked. Yeah. It was still a, it's still a great moment. And you should strive for more of those sorts of moments too. Did you consider going to Alabama this weekend for this game? Since you are a UT student right now, you may have had access to tickets. Yeah, I can afford it. I mean, the cheapest yeah. I saw was like two hundred and twenty bucks, which isn't Damn. isn't bad. I got face value but. seats on the thirty yard line, forty rows up. So I was planning right. on going to this game, and then stuff happens, and so it ain't happening. So I'm trying to unload these tickets on SeatGeek now. Uh, have you for- sold them? No, I'm I'm trying to go for triple the the face value price. Wow. That's not going to work. So it'll probably end up something closer to to probably double it. Double, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm seeing seats in the area, and it's like three hundred to three fifty. But like the more expensive tickets are closer to the field. I think that's ridiculous. Those are worse seats. Yeah. It's like sitting on the glass at a hockey game. You ever done that before? I haven't. Under a Texas Stars game or something. No. It's cool when the action's right in front of you. When the action's not right in front of you. You're having to watch the Jumbotron just to know what the hell is happening in the game. Yeah. It's that way with baseball, maybe an exception there just because you are right on the field of play and it's more expansive. But if you're at a football game, if you're at a hockey match, basketball is also good to be courtside too. But uh, those other two sports, you're better off being a little bit higher up so you can actually see what the hell's going on. Except for Jerry World. That's my problem with the Cowboys Stadium. It's like, unless you're in the lower bowl, you're watching that screen the entire time. You can't help yourself. You your eyes get no. drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, that, that would be my exception to that. But yeah, other than that, I agree. Have you been to a few games in that stadium? Yeah, I've been to a bunch. Okay. Uh, especially like living in that area, I'd go for, I'd always go for like the high school playoffs. Yeah. That was cool. I got to see some cool games like Kyler Murray. That was really cool seeing him in high school because he was a stud. Did you see him in the championship game? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then he played Gerard Hurd. If you remember Gerard Hurd. Oh, yeah. And Gerard Hurd played him. No, yeah, Denton Geyer. I was I was supposed to go to that high school, so I, I saw every game Gerard Hurd ever played. And mm. I, I still believe that if they would have, you know, if we wouldn't have messed with it, he would have been an All-American quarterback. They moved him to receiver and – but I, I truly believe he was an elite quarterback, and I, I still, to this day, have no idea why they moved him. They moved him in favor of swoops, too, didn't they? Yeah. After he started yeah. that game against Jared Goff and Cow, or he yeah. start, his first game starting, he set the all-time uh, Total yardage, yardage record, yeah, yeah. Like 548, I think it was. Yep. I still don't understand it. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Because Tyrone was so raw. So raw, all the way up until he was essentially a package player. He is what people say Lamar Jackson is, you know, like a a, a running back playing quarterback is what he was. Tyrone Swoops, yeah. Well, tight end, Tyrone Swoops was a tight end playing quarterback, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Although he did run the ball, obviously, he could he could squeeze his way through tiny little seams at times and get some extra yardage, but left a lot to be desired as far as a thrower of the football goes. And that was from that era where Mac Brown was like passing over guys who would go on to be all conference, if not all American, if not in some cases, Heisman winners. Thank you very much, Robert Griffin. Cause he was recruiting those guys as safeties or not at all. In lieu of the Tyrone swoops of the world. Yeah, Manziel was another one. Manziel was around the same time. Yeah. Andrew Luck was in tears over either not getting a Texas offer or getting offered as a safety because he wanted to come play quarterback for the Longhorns. Yeah, Oliver Luck is a UT grad, and he grew up a huge Texas fan. I didn't know that. So he went on to Stanford. (laughs) Became the number one 
overall NFL draft pick once his eligibility was up and got selected by the Indianapolis Colts. I wonder what Andrew Luck is up to these days. I'm assuming he still has that Civil War era beard. And he's probably just chilling out, playing with his wife and kids. Probably. He's very he seems very like old fashioned. Yeah. You know. Very heady dude, too. I mean, going to Stanford will do that to a guy. Yeah. But, I can see him like still having a flip phone. Oh you know? yeah. No, he gives off like flip phone vibes. Andrew Luck almost certainly does not have social media. If he does, there's somebody running that for him who's helping yeah. with his brand. But Andrew Luck is the type of old soul that when somebody asks him about building his brand, he's like, fuck you. And <laughs> fuck the Andrew Luck brand. Yeah. Except he doesn't say Andrew Luck brand because that would be douchey. He'd say, fuck my brand. Right. Yeah. He's like one of those guys that like gets famous and then resents that he's famous. <laughs> kind of like that. Uh, uh, Oliver Anthony guy. He's going through that right now. He he gives off like him and Oliver Anthony seem like the same person. To me. <laughs> That's a, a very interesting comp, including the beard there. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that Oliver Anthony, uh, I don't, I don't care to get too political here, but Oliver Anthony, like he comes out with that song and people who didn't listen to it, interpreted it as a Republican or Democrat song. So Republicans jump on board. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is calling everybody out yeah. here. And look, when you get a song that blows up like that and then you appear on Joe Rogan's show because he was on Rogan's podcast in the last couple of weeks, yeah, you can say sayonara, especially because of your unique look, to your ability to just go grab a meal at Chili's. Right. That lifestyle is done. You need to uh, prepare yourself for something different. Yeah, that never made sense to me because I, you know, I read after that song came out, a music label offered him like $8 million to sign. He was like, no, you know, I don't want the fame. I'm just doing this. And then he goes on Joe Rogan. I was like, that's not going to help. I think, no, it's not. And they talked about that in that interview. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but did a little bit because I knew nothing about Oliver Anthony other than hearing that song. I don't think anybody did. Oh. Out of nowhere. Yeah, he did come out of nowhere. But yeah. you listen to the lyrics of the song. It's a well-written song. Yeah. And I also completely agree with the message in the song, too. So I'm like, I'll be interested to hear what this dude has to say. Yeah. It's interesting for like 45 minutes. Yeah, I saw clips of it. And I didn't, I didn't care to listen to the full thing. I'm like, I, I get what I need out of these like 10 minute clips, you know? Yeah, no, that's totally understandable. But he talked about, and maybe you saw the 10 minute clip. He talked about declining that huge offer mm. to sign with the record label. And Rogan's like, yeah, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Because at that point you've basically enslaved yourself to the process. Says Joe Rogan, who signed a hundred million dollar deal with Spotify. <laughs> Here's the thing for Rogan with that. Cause Look, you're right, but it got him out from under the thumb of YouTube, which was starting to cause problems because of some of the shit that he was talking about. That's true, yeah. And so that allowed him to completely distance himself from YouTube while also get this guaranteed money, which he's not just hoarding for himself. I mean, he's a rich dude, obviously, right. but he's turned that into helping out so many friends over time. He's opened this comedy club in Austin. Oh, Have you? awesome. You've been to the Comedy Mothership? Yeah, I've been once. Okay, who did you go see? Uh, I think it was Rogan and Friends. Okay, so the Rogan and Friends shows yeah. are incredible. I was watching those going back to the Vulcan, which is another interesting comedy venue. Not nearly as good for comedy as the Mothership is, but that's a great show because it's Rogan and Hinchcliffe and Ron White will pop in and some other people like that, Brian Simpson usually. I think when I was there, and I saw Theo Vaughn at, at Bass Concert a few months ago, and yeah. there was a dude that opened for him. He was a, a, an Arabic guy. Oh this yeah, dude is, I can't remember his name. Ahmad Asan Ahmad yes, is his name. That that's him. I interviewed oh, him for uh, for my podcast. He's oh, hilarious. Really? Yeah, his nine eleven joke, or he had a couple nine eleven jokes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Yeah. Sorry, we're not going to spoil it for you people out there right now. No, check out Asan uh, Ahmad. He's funny. His buddy Derek Poston is hilarious too. Mm. They moved to Austin together. Brian Simpson just taped a special. I mean, you could go any night. You could go to an open mic night and it's still going to be hilarious because they are vetting people like all the staff there with the exception of the wait staff are stand-ups too so they have yeah, this system system built up it's a little bit like radio like in radio in order to get on air you usually have to start behind the scenes like you and i have talked for the last 20 to 30 minutes now and i can see that you have a bright future as a broadcaster. You are very comfortable speaking into a microphone. I am not actually. You're keeping eye contact much better than I am. I'm trying to. I'm I. I'm not good on air. I you know 
I just didn't practice, but well, I've called, trying to get. I've called you out on it, so maybe you're a little bit more self-aware of it right now, but you've been taking your time. There's not a bunch of uhs and ums. I don't hear a whole lot of crutch words out of you right now. These are all terrible habits that I still have, by the way. So I think you're, I think you're better off right now than you are, but you can't rest on those laurels. You can't go Texas football from the last 14 years and get complacent just because you've gotten a little compliment here. Now's the time when you start to work your ass off even more, you know? I'm trying to, man. You know, working with y'all. I love working with y'all. It's awesome. But hopefully I can get some experience out of it. You know, like this is perfect for me right now. I think exactly that I need. I think that you're you're with us. So we're gonna try and make sure that that happens. As far as the Texas game on Saturday, gonna be watching it here in Austin, just like yeah. the rest of us are. Where are you with this game? Are you feeling good about Texas chances? If not, what's the issue? I think I think Texas has a good chance to win. You know, if I were to put a percentage on it, I would probably say thirty five percent. I, I think that Alabama has the best O-line in the country. You know, Caden Proctor, the left tackle. Like, I don't know if you know this kid. He's a stud. He's what Kelvin Banks was last year. Yeah, exactly what Kelvin Banks was last year, except bigger. He's 6'7", 345, I think. Just a monster. Yeah, and he's so big that, like, the 345 – like, he, he doesn't look 345. He's just – a massive dude well like kelvin banks he's really bright too right which has allowed him to come in as a true freshman at alabama and start for them it's it's crazy they're o-line i say it's the, they're the best run blocking o-line in the country hands down mm. you know pass blocking whatever they're just dominant dudes up front and luckily i think texas's d-line can compete but on the flip side their d-line you know, especially with how the O-line played last week, I, I think they might have some problems with it. Mm. You know, especially with as talented of a secondary that they have with Kool-Aid McKinstry and um, uh, who's that Who's that true freshman safety? Um, I'm blanking on his name. But the, the kid's a baller. Not Malachi Moore, who's questionable right now, though he has practice this week. He plays for Georgia, right? Or am I thinking of somebody else? No, I'm thinking of Malachi Starks. Never mind. But... I I think that that's where they're going to have issues is is on that D-line. Mm. Um, you know, I saw a stat the other day that between their edge – in their edge room alone, not even counting like D-tackles, they have like seven five-stars, just, you know, either outside linebackers or defensive ends. And it's – you know, we're going to see. We're going to see if – you know, I don't even know who's starting at right guard. Is it going to be DJ Campbell? Is it going to be – no, it's going to be Cole Hudson. Unfortunately okay. for DJ Campbell, and I think he will eventually get there. He's not quite there just yet. Yeah, had a few penalties week one. Well, not start. just that, but I mean, the penalties are obviously one huge knock on a guy. Like, you've got to limit those. Like, one to zero a game is acceptable. Start getting two to three penalties in a game. That is putting the offense way too far behind the eight ball. Apparently, the correct calls were being made by the center last Saturday, and he was just flat out missing his assignment. He was doing something completely different. So if you don't know what the rest of the offensive line is supposed to be doing, that's yeah. another colossal problem. That yeah, and you can't have that against Alabama. You, exactly. You can get away with it against Rice to yeah. a degree. That's not going to work against Alabama. So Cole Hudson will be back in there. Not sure what the deal was with him last week. I don't know if it was a penalty thing or him being penalized for breaking a team rule. I don't know if he was just a, a little bit dinged up and they wanted to keep him out for Alabama, but he will be back in there. And so hopefully that does help to make a difference too. But here's the thing, like even the tackles for Texas didn't have, they had some bad moments last week too. Right. A couple penalties, way too many pressures too. I mean, Kelvin Banks, I believe, gave up a sack. He gave up one sack all of last year and he gave up a sack to Rice probably a fluke maybe the result of uh, something else not happening with the guy responsible for blocking next to him but the credit on that sack goes against him so well, luckily luckily Sark said you know he he acknowledged the the O-line problems but he said it's all fixable so that that gives me a little bit of hope like it's not like oh we just got you know we got whooped which against Rice that would worry me you know it's like it's a communication issue <laughs> Hopefully they clean that up. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that's, you know, um, 
like the O line kind of working together like that. That that's that's a hard thing to fix, but hopefully, hopefully it happens. Because if not, it's it'll get ugly. Yeah, I have confidence in seven. I have a confidence in Kyle Flood yeah. being able to do that. I think Sark getting back to crutches. One of Sark's crutches when he faces or when a position group or a player faces criticism is to say that it's fixable. But I think here he's being sincere about that. It's just a couple of little things. And one of the fixes, by the way, is having a different guy in there who knows what the calls are and can still hold up pretty well, too. I mean, Cole Hudson started games as a true freshman last year. As much attention, you're right about that. As much attention as Kelvin Banks gets, Cole Hudson was right there with him the entire way. So you get him back this week, and that will hopefully be huge. What do we see out of Quinn Ewers tomorrow? I I honestly have no idea. Um, you know, last week kind of worries me. Even in the second half, when he played a lot better than he did in the first half, he was still missing missing deep balls. And you know, when you have a guy like Xavier Worthy, you know, you, you can't afford to miss those deep balls because he he. Xavier Worthy is what makes everybody else get open because they, you know, you can't put one dude on him. If assuming you can complete the deep ball, you can't expect that one guy is going to hold him the whole game. Exactly. You saw it last year, you know. So I think if if Quinn can get comfortable with that deep ball, I think the Texas has a really good shot. Hmm. But the reason I say thirty five percent chance that they can win this game is because we haven't seen it yet right we saw we've seen glimpses of it you know and i don't know if that's going to work against that alabama defense it's concerning yeah not just because he hasn't been able to hit it Mm. but because steve sarkeesian refuses to stop calling it so at some point yeah it becomes fool's gold now we keep getting practice reports from the insider sites that Quinn has been connecting on deep balls all off season through fall camp and practice this week. He's been connecting on those deep balls, but at some point you have to recognize that what somebody can accomplish in a practice setting isn't clicking when the lights are the brightest. And there there's the paradox right there. Is that what Quinn yours is? Or is it a matter of, just making sure to remind him before each and every drive, step into that throw. You have the arm strength. Stop relying solely on your arm to get that done because it is leading to you underthrowing balls or misfiring on balls pretty much every time you drop back and try and hit someone deep. Because and I've mentioned this a couple of times on the channel this week. Go back to Shaquille O'Neal's NBA career and how bad of a free throw shooter he was. You don't remember this because you were either in diapers or not born just yet, but you used to routinely hear that Shaq was like an 80 to 90% free throw shooter in practice, but it just wasn't translating into games. And that's just the reality. Shaq was not a great free throw shooter. I don't care what he did in practice. He wasn't good at free throws. I think when you were... not reality. Exactly. Reality is reality. I think Quinn Ewers has a chance to be good on deep balls, but at some point you have to stop wasting plays if it's not happening. Yeah. And you saw that a lot last year too. Yeah. You know, Oklahoma state, I go back to that game and Quinn Ewers could not hit. What's the expression? Uh, the broad side of a barn, yeah, the broad side of a barn. It was bad, but you know, he just kept calling it. And I think, I think Sark truly believes that if you do something enough, eventually it will click and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't always happen. And it, I don't think it has happened actually. Now that I think about it, you know, maybe Washington, you know, he hit a few, but that that's about it really. Other than, you know, the glimpses of greatness versus Alabama part one. Yeah. And one thing that I do think will work in Texas's favor tomorrow is you know, you always hear about Sark being the best scripter in the country. Mm-hmm. Maybe not coming out of halftime, but, you know, opening game script, like first 15 first plays 15 or whatever. or 20 plays. Yeah. yeah, it's, I think that works huge in Texas's favor and that this Alabama offense is not built to come from behind. 
So if you can put up some points in those, you know, 15 or 20 plays, and you saw it, you know, last year against Alabama, mm-hmm. where they, you know, start of the game, they were moving downfield. And they were up until Quinn got hurt. But if you can do that again tomorrow, like you did last year, like you do against every team before you may or may not blow a second half lead, um, you, you're in a great position versus this team because they're a running team, right? Like they have that dominant offensive line. They want to run the ball. Yeah, yeah I They're mean, not built to come from behind. Jalen Milrow threw some deep balls that were completed last week, and it's not like they completely neglected the passing attack, but Nick Saban right. is on the record as wanting to be more of a power running team this year. For some obvious reasons, the fact that they are reloading at quarterback, that their quarterback is better as a runner than he is a thrower, even though he seems to be coming along as a thrower. You just mentioned something that may speak to Quinn Ewers actually getting it done downfield tomorrow. And that is the games that he was his best last year. Alabama, Oklahoma. And we even throw the bowl game in there, too. Let's remember, that was a good Washington team. Texas yeah. lost to that team. But that was one of the more intriguing bowl matchups of the year. When Ewers performed his best, when the most was on the line, if you will. Right. Obviously, we have an incomplete game with Alabama because he goes down to an injury. But it felt like he was about to set a passing record that day against a yeah. good Alabama defense. And what he did to Oklahoma... Crazy. You just assumed that the rest of the year was going to be really good because of how good he was in that game. And that was, I believe, his first game back after the Alabama game. Yes, it was. So you saw the Alabama, the glimpses of greatness versus Alabama. Then he comes out with that Oklahoma performance, which I think was his best. Yeah. And then, I don't know. Then he was legitimately one of the worst quarterbacks in the Big 12 for the last six games of the year. Yeah. Like, I can't even explain how that happens. I, I truly believe he was, and I believe this up until last week when it wasn't corrected. I thought he was injured. I thought he rushed back from the shoulder injury, had that game versus Oklahoma because Oklahoma had the worst pass defense in the country, and you know anybody could have scored 49 points against that defense. But... You know, after that, like, he was missing throws that, you know, I've, I've watched him since high school, and he'd never missed that throw. Right. I truly believed it was his shoulder. I was like, he rushed back from the shoulder injury, and then, you know, he came out with that that week one performance in the first half, and I was like, I was getting worried a little bit. Yeah. Maybe it's not the shoulder, mm. you know? Maybe it's in his head. I mean, he has talked about that this offseason, that he let criticism go to his head, because even if a guy ends up out of shape during the season – like your performance doesn't fall off that much. So perhaps it did become a fierce mental battle for him. All right. I'm going to have you go back over to the computer right now, Brock, because we're at the top of the hour, not going to be any crosstalk today. I don't know if Zay and chip are listening right now, but because of the current setup here, covert B cave, as we come to an end of midday with Trey and BK, it was actually midday with Trey and Brock today and i appreciate brock for stepping in big time i'm just gonna have to hand things off to these guys and they're gonna enter the studio as i exit the studio so i just need you to give me a thumbs up when both guys are on the screen and ready to go brock they're both ready to go here all right guys i'm gonna hand it off to you now for brad kellner and brock i am trey elling thank you so much for hanging out today chip and zay up next